Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow together with other mothers when autumn comes. Welcome back to When Autumn Comes. This is part two of Meredith's interview. So if you didn't catch last week, go ahead and pause here, go back to last week and start there. That way you can understand and get to know Meredith's family a little bit better. That being said, if you really, really, really want to start here, you can because we are talking kind of about a completely different topic. Today we are diving into homeschooling, which is an exciting conversation for me because none of the other families we've talked to, as far as I'm aware, homeschool their kids. I have always been a little curious because my children are so immunocompromised, so I was always a little curious how homeschooling works for disabled children and parents like me. So we are going to transition and we're going to quickly dive into the fact that you have four children. Yes. You are homeschooling them, which like I from what I understand you were homeschooling them before most of America was homeschooling. Yes. This isn't because of COVID. This is this is your thing. No, this is a thing we started from the time they were little. My oldest is 12. I never would have guessed, honestly. I mean, I wasn't like a, I'm going to have children and I'm going to homeschool them Mm -hmm. kind of person. Like this wasn't something that I knew anything about or really was interested in. And you weren't homeschooled. So you, it wasn't something. No. That, okay. No, no. Uh Uh-uh. In fact, it, you know, it took a lot of nervousness to tell any of my family that I was going to do this, you know. Mm -hmm. I honestly think back to that time when we were in Germany navigating life with a child who had a new disability diagnosis and her not much older than her brother. He was preschool age. And because all of a sudden I had this life of therapy appointments and specialist appointments and navigating this whole thing and a husband who was deployed a lot, I sent him to a German preschool and that was fine. But there was a part of me that started realizing that I, because of all the time I spent with my daughter with appointments and things like that, I was wanting to spend some extra time with my son. Mm -hmm. And so part of that was looking into what that would look like to just do little preschool activities with him. And I found out that I loved it. I loved 
eventually being the person who taught him to read. I absolutely loved that we shared all these bonds throughout our days. And we moved back to the United States and I, I thought, you know, maybe I'll keep him home for the rest of preschool. And I did that. And then time came to put him in kindergarten and I couldn't do it. So we started homeschooling and my daughter who has CP started going to public school preschool. And um, that was actually great. It was a great experience and she loved it. We didn't talk about your daughter with CP very much in the last Mm -hmm. episode. She Mm -hmm. is 10 years old. Yes. She's almost 11. And is she physically disabled, intellectually Mm -hmm. disabled or? So she, she's primarily affected through gross motor function. Okay. So she uses a wheelchair and she, you know, can use a gait trainer, but primarily she uses a wheelchair. So she's mostly affected gross motor, also fine motor, but that's really, really it. And can she communicate? She's not affected speech. Yes. She okay. can, she can speak. And so she's cognitively typical too. Okay. This is going to sound like a rookie question and I apologize if I sound <laughs> ignorant, no. but are services available for her as a homeschool yes. child? Okay. Yes. Well, services through the school typically are not, but it really depends on where you live and what your local public school would offer. When we lived in Virginia, I know that as homeschoolers, we could have continued maybe with speech therapy through the schools, but we didn't need speech. Mm -hmm. Here in Oklahoma, I also think that potentially we could qualify for something but we are fortunate in that we have private therapy options through insurance. And so we just go through private therapy for everything for her. Mm -hmm. Cause that was one of my, so both children are so severely immunocompromised that we struggled because for preschool, the school district, we got a home-based teacher for her first year of preschool, which was, she was wonderful mm-hmm. for Lorelai's second year of preschool. Mm-hmm. The teacher talked to her like she was a neurotypical five-year-old and she was cognitively like 12 months old and mm-hmm. it was just not a good fit. I mean, she was like, Lorelai, I need you to color the color orange in the top left corner of the pumpkin. And I'm sitting here making L's with my fingers to figure out which side is left. It was like, so is, so, and this was a special education teacher. Yep. And so I went down the path of like, how can I homeschool my child? Is there support out there? Is there, you know, like, how am I supposed to, as a special needs mom, you find yourself as the nurse, the therapist, the everything. I was like, why not add this layer? Yes. But why not? Why not? (laughs) But my thought was, how else are you going to navigate the therapy sessions? And how else are you going to navigate all these doctor's appointments? We had therapy and doctor's appointments so frequently, there's no way she could have been in school anyway. Right. And that was a big consideration of ours. I I say this all the time to people. It is a feeling when, I mean, even with your first child who may or may not be a neurotypical kid, in my case, it was. Mm-hmm it felt like jumping off a cliff to homeschool just because that wasn't something I had always dreamed about doing. Mm -hmm. So it was terrifying to just take the leap and just say, okay, yes, we are homeschooling. It took me a really long time to even be able to say that to people, but we homeschool. It was hard. 
But then to make the decision to take our daughter out of special education services and to make that declaration, to submit paperwork to the school to say, I'm withdrawing her. We're not coming back. We are choosing to do this at home was even more terrifying. And the only reason I made that decision was because I realized there are so many really amazing benefits to homeschooling in terms of flexibility that I felt like I wasn't enjoying with my son because we also, so I was, you know, doing this over here with my son, but also we had to abide by a schedule set by a school. And so I was finding myself just always in this difficult struggle. I just really thought that I wasn't able to enjoy all the benefits of being a homeschooler because I had this other system I had to live with. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And so it wasn't a thing against a school and it wasn't that I was so confident about doing it, but I just thought we need to give this a try while she's still four. Mm -hmm. You know, I can see if this is going to work for her too. And it did. And I remember being absolutely terrified even after having pulled her out of school that I just wasn't going to be able to make it just because you get a lot of pressure. Oh, I'm sure from doctors and teachers and people like that who look at you kind of like, "Mm, yeah, I don't, you're not really qualified for this for a disabled child. So um, are you sure? There's just a lot of doubt. I mean, we're not qualified. (laughs) No, we don't know our children. Mm -mm. And so one thing I used to do when we lived in Virginia was on the first day of public school that the kids would all go back to school. I would take my kids to the beach. We would do, you know, some lessons there, but it was nice to be able to say like, Hey, everybody else is at school and we get the beach kind of to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I, I was still in this terrified place and my daughter's first special education preschool teacher happened to be at the beach that day because she had stopped teaching. She had moved to a different profession and she was taking a walk and just happened to pass us by. And I had said, we decided to do this thing. And she actually said, you know what? I'm really glad that you have done this because I think that this is going to be really great for her. And so that was all the confirmation I needed. Yeah. Well, and I I obviously haven't had a lot of experience with school and our little bit of experience we had was very difficult. And Lorelai cognitively take it or leave it, I think. Mm-hmm. Benji cognitively right. though, he needs to be around peers, but unfortunately he can't because of his uh-huh. immunocompromised status. I would love for him to be in a classroom with kids around him, but that's not an option for us. Mm -hmm. I just felt like for us, it, it would be a great thing, I think. So what, if there's a mom who's considering something like this, what support is out there for families like ours who, who are considering, you know, oh my gosh, I'm already the nurse. I'm already the teacher. I'm already the, why not, mm. why not do this? What, what support is there for right. medical families like ours? Oh my goodness. Well, just to start with too, because I, I said this to you before, and I think that this is always important. I know a lot of people listening probably 
are not at all interested in homeschooling and it's never going to be something that they feel like they can do. And so first of all, I, I want to say that I never talk about homeschooling and I don't want anyone to hear this and feel guilt for not making the choice to homeschool. Because like you said, we, as moms of kids who have disabilities and medical needs, we do an awful lot. So I never, ever, ever want somebody to feel guilt for not yeah. um, doing this, but some moms are working moms that are right. the sole, you know, and right. every family situation no is different. Yes. And, and so um, I say that, but I also say that I do like to talk about homeschooling because I do want to support the people who have been out there thinking there's something to this. There's something intriguing about this. There's something that sounds lovely about this, but I just can't because my, my kids have disabilities. And so I just want to say that that's not true. I, you know, in terms of there being support necessarily just for, you know, special needs families, I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a lot out there that way. Although if you're looking for information, there is a, an organization called HSLDA, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, and they have people on staff to answer questions just about homeschool law in general, no matter mm-hmm. where you live. But they also do have people who are there to talk to you about options as, um, okay. as special needs families. And so there is a lot of information out there. And just like with anything else, you can find people who are blogging and Mm -hmm. podcasting and everything about homeschooling, but specifically a little bit out there about special needs. Yeah. Okay. So just like anything else, I feel like you kind of have to seek, seek out the information, but it is there. Unfortunately, when it comes to, sometimes it feels like there's almost too much out there for homeschool families. Like you could really be not at your house (laughs) doing other things as a homeschool family because there's so much out there. Mm -hmm. I had an older mom tell me one time, like in order to be a homeschool mom, you need to be at home. Sometimes (laughs) you need to be doing work. You're like, no, we're an out of school, out of building, (laughs) out of building school here. And that is a great thing is my older son, especially, he has done quite a bit of work in physical therapy waiting rooms. <laughs> so it's flexible that way. Just like we were talking about early in the last episode, how you and I growing up didn't have a lot of experience mm-hmm. around disabled people. And it just wasn't uh-huh. part of our world in in my schooling growing up and right. my lifestyle. I didn't have any disabled family members or anything. Are your kids around all types of abilities? Or is it just your four that are together? Are you able to branch out with other families? How does that work? Well, this is where being a family with special needs makes us a little different from other homeschool families. Because like I said, there are so many options out there for things you can go join, you know, co-ops and all kinds of groups and all of that but we have a very specific schedule (laughs) compared to other families. I mean, we just have a lot more on our plate Mm -hmm. as a family, particularly as we've added this other child over the past year during a time of COVID. We, you know, I I feel like we were probably the most careful family 
um, compared to a lot of other families out there who didn't have as many concerns. There is still that fight in a lot of areas to feel included. And so you're still fighting a lot of those same battles in the homeschool world that you are in every other aspect of life. But we have been blessed in a lot of ways to find really good groups. Mm-hmm. Particularly for us, we're less of a co-op kind of family just because I like what we do academically together as a family. But you're able, I mean, my my daughter with CP is in a homeschool choir. And so she gets to go once a week and have, you know, choir instruction with other kids and they mm-hmm. sing together. And that's one of her favorite things to do. And so um, you just find these little niche groups. I mean, there's just really everything that you can imagine, different homeschool sports, different, you know, just everything. That's great. You had mentioned to me, Charlotte Mason. Yes. Can you tell us a little <laughs> yes. bit about that? So a lot of times when you start talking to homeschoolers, um, they have different philosophies that they follow. And there are a lot of homeschoolers out there who love the principles of a woman named Charlotte Mason. And Charlotte Mason, it's not somebody that you would think would necessarily, if you just look at her biography, like, oh, this is a woman who lived, you know, in the early 1900s you know, late 1800s, early 1900s in England. And she herself was not a homeschooler. She ran a system of her own schools. She spoke and wrote a lot about her own teaching philosophy. And a lot of homeschoolers have kind of rediscovered all these principles that she lived by. The homeschooling community in particular has really grabbed on to a lot of what she said. And I think that a lot of what Charlotte Mason taught to teachers is something very life-giving for everybody in a family. And this is something, too, that I think that even if you're somebody who thinks that you would never homeschool, just reading about Charlotte's parenting philosophy is very interesting. The things that she thought were important about education, because we as parents, of course, no matter what kind of school choice we make for our kids, we're still in charge of that atmosphere of learning that takes place. If you're not satisfied with the way something is going with your child's education, that's really up to you to figure out how to change it. And so one thing that she said that was just so revolutionary when she said it in the early 1900s, that is so to me revolutionary and something I think about constantly as a mom of disabled kids. She said, children are born persons. This is something that is so important when you're thinking about developing an educational framework for your children, because they're all individual people. Mm -hmm. They're all born with interests and they're all born with ways that they're going to grow. And ways that they can learn that other people can't learn. Yes. And they're all born with weakness. Mm -hmm. And the same applies to us as parents. Right. Yeah. Our kids are born persons and we also are born persons. We're just With older same, persons that have yes, but, <laughs> life yeah, experiences but also, that have made us who we are. Yes. We're individuals and we all have places where we need to grow mm-hmm. and places where we should want to grow. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is really something that's really appealing about homeschool in our house is that I get to 
a lot of people in the homeschool movement talk about um, redeeming the ruins of your own education. I think most adults you would talk to say that they're disappointed about something in their own education, or maybe not disappointed, but just feel kind of stagnant in their lives. I would say as moms who have so many burdens, that's a place where I mean, we could really like reinvigorate life in our homes, right? Mm -hmm. Just being able to decide, like, I want to learn something and grow in some way. And we can, and we should, because we're born persons. Mm -hmm. And so this is a philosophy that's really near and dear to my heart. So Charlotte Mason talked about children are born persons and that education is the science of relations. It sounds so simple to say (laughs) children are born persons, but I think it almost puts all of our children on an even playing field. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? It does. Because then like my Benji was born a person just like your Sam was born a person. And they both have different ways of learning. They both have different needs, but we start out on the same place. Yes. And a big part of her saying that too a lot of what she writes about is that you don't know as their parent what their purpose in life is going to be. And you don't know what ideas are going to shape and form who they are. And Mm -hmm. so you have to spread a feast before them. Heck, I'm almost 40 and I don't know what my purpose is going to (laughs) be. I know. (laughs) I know. Well, I, I feel like it's been a revolutionary idea just in my own mind to be able to take a step back and realize the things I thought I was interested in when I was 20 are not necessarily the things I'm interested in now. And so you're just always growing as a person. And I think that that's just to have that lifelong attitude of developing who you are as a person and developing, just wanting to grow in knowledge Can you elaborate more on the feast? Yes. So the idea that she has about spreading the feast is that, again, you don't know. She talks about these captain ideas, as she puts them, that are going to take hold in your child's mind. I might have a child who is meant to grow and love and learn in movement. They might be an athlete. They equally could really thrive learning things about history, you know, just like anything. The idea is that the teacher is not there to force feed knowledge down a child's throat. Mm -hmm. The idea behind education is really for a child to be given a feast of good things and a variety of things Mm -hmm. and for the child to be an educated person and to build knowledge, you're going to take these ideas and you're going to be able to make the connections. And that's what a true education is. Mm -hmm. And then in that, you're going to learn to love to do that. Mm -hmm. And so you will hopefully always be learning and growing. And even for parents who have their children in public schools, Mm -hmm. I'm a very visual person. So seeing that table before me with a feast of things, public school could be one of the entrees at your table. And then you could have in the case of us with many, many complex medical needs, you know, I -hmm. kind of see like physical therapy in a bowl next to the mashed potatoes. And, um, like, you know, you've got like everything available. You're helping them learn to move their bodies the best, the the best Mm -hmm. way they can exercising their, their bodies. 
in the best way possible for them. And then, yeah, you're also feeding them these other ideas. So maybe you feel like when your child is at school and having to miss things because of Mm -hmm. appointments or just for whatever reason, you can spread a great feast of good literature, good Mm -hmm. music and good art and big ideas about the world around them as far as science is concerned. You can spread these ideas before them. Mm -hmm. You're not limited to what's going on or not going on at school. Specific curriculum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The SOLs and all of the the testing that, you know, you have to be at a specific place. For those of us who have disabled children, my kid has failed all of the milestone tests since she was Right. Three days old. <laughs> like we never. Right. And so, yeah, milestones, like it doesn't matter. She's a born person, mm-hmm. right? Yep. He's a born person. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is they are where they are. And as long as you continue spreading this feast before them, mm-hmm. they are going to take what they need right. from it. And they're going to make their own connections and be educated people because of that. I think it's beautiful. It is. It is. Do you have to do, you know, one of the banes of our existence as medical moms is IEP meetings and how heart-wrenching and hard it is to have somebody sit across mm. from you and say, this is this is where your child is. Right. Does that exist in the homeschool world? So the big answer is not really. There is an idea out there and the organization I mentioned earlier, HSLDA, actually has information on coming up if you needed it for any reason or felt like you wanted to produce something like it, a way that you could produce your own kind Mm -hmm. of sort of IEP. But then aside from that, it really depends on where you live as to what the homeschool law in your state is. When we lived in Virginia, we had to provide what was called a notice of intent every year So we had to just fill out some basic paperwork. We had to very loosely talk about what we were teaching, like subjects. Okay. And then we were responsible every year for either you could choose to have a portfolio assessment where, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure if they were licensed, but somebody who was approved could see what you were doing. And then write a letter to the school board saying they've made progress. They're doing what they said that they were doing. Or you could take a standardized test that you choose. Here in Oklahoma, it's actually written into the state constitution that parents have the right to educate their children however they see fit. We're not responsible to do any of those things. Okay. I have friends who homeschooled because of covid uh-huh. For many reasons over the last couple of years, listening to them sure. talk, it did worry me if Laurel, I had to take a test or if, I mean, my kids can't take tests. Right. <laughs> like mm-hmm. That was one thing that I was like, Ugh. yeah. So if that kind of thing is a worry, then it would be advisable to go ahead and write up just your own general. It doesn't have to be specifically an IEP. Mm-hmm. But like I said, there are places where you can go that can walk you through what is recommended. And then I think from what I've heard, most places that require some kind of testing also allow for other options. Right. Like the portfolio evaluation. Man, they get yeah. a good kick out of her uh, dot markers. Like <laughs> <laughs> I I can't imagine what a Lorelei portfolio would have looked like. I would have loved it. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, Meredith, we've talked about so much. This conversation was beautiful, and I really appreciate you being here with us. I have to ask you the one question that everybody gets at the end of a When Autumn Comes episode, and that is, Meredith, what gives you hope? Oh, I have a couple different answers because I think we are spiritual people. And so we need to um, have an answer that applies to that part of ourselves. And um, and I also have a more practical answer. Um, I think when it when I'm thinking about that question spiritually, um, I actually wrote down the verses from Romans 5, 3 through 6, because that says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so for me, that that really is something that, you know, we talked about earlier. I really, truly believe that there is hope because there is purpose in it. Mm-hmm. There's really good purpose and, and that definition of good doesn't always feel good, but, um, but I have to believe that it is good and it's better than I, I would define good. Um, a lot of times I think that for me, I can become really anxious about all kinds of things for all of my children, but you start to worry about a lot of things for each one of your children in your family, whether they're neurotypical or they have some kind of disability, are you doing the most you can for this child? And and part of that purpose is that I have to stop and remind myself that God has placed each one of my children in my family at a specific time, it is in a specific place, in a specific order. And so that, when I can stop and pause and remember that, that gives me a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as a practical answer, though, too, on top of that, is that um, I feel it like it's so hopeful that we have a community of people that are ahead of us generationally of disabled adults who have done so much work already um, on behalf of our children. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, my perspective is, is of somebody who has kids who don't have fatal diagnoses. And so I, I do have that in the back of my mind. Um, I realize that. But I think as medical breakthroughs happen, um, it's it's just so hopeful that we have more and more people we can look to who can give us advice. I think that that's a hopeful thing for me is just to be able to hear from people who are living lives that my children are living as well, mm-hmm. who have such practical advice things that we absolutely should not be doing as parents <laughs> and things that we can do to encourage our kids. And I think that that's really hopeful. And I thank you and all of the moms and people who have shared stories on this podcast 
like you're you're sharing your story and your experience and that's helping another mom who may be newer or at a different chapter in her motherhood journey so you are also mm-hmm. giving that same experience to other moms by sharing your story I think so. that that is one of the biggest blessings that I've realized through every trial that we've had is that we are we have been put in a community of people who understand and we don't ever go through this alone mm-hmm. even even when we feel isolated and even when yes and we do yeah absolutely we do, but just knowing that there really are other people out there um going through the same thing is very comforting absolutely well thank you for being here i really appreciate thank it. you so much i've really enjoyed it I think what is so cool about this community is that we can all come from different places, different backgrounds, have different beliefs and religion and education and politics. And, and in the end, we are all doing what, what is best for our kids in our community. And I have zero experience with homeschooling. So it was such an insightful conversation for me to just hear how another medical mom is doing this. Thank you, Meredith, for being here today and for sharing your story and your family two weeks in a row. This is Susan, and I am signing off to go get some hot chocolate with Kahlua and whipped cream. Y'all have a good one. We will see you on Friday. P.S. If you're new here, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. This is When Autumn Comes. You can find us on social media at When Autumn Comes Podcast. You can find us on our website, www.whenautumncomes.com. We also have what we call the When Autumn Comes Society. It is a place for moms, dads, caregivers, everybody you can think of is welcome to join us. We talk about things that we're going through, but mostly we just kind of come together and appreciate the beautifulness, beautifulness, beautiful, the beauty, the beauty of our community. So search us on Facebook at When Autumn Comes Society, and we'll see you there. Thanks for being, oh, and by the way, it would be super helpful if you liked us, if you shared us, if you rated us, if you gave us stars, I don't, whatever the platforms are asking for these days, could you give us like a thumbs up? because that would really help other families find us. Thank you, guys.